Um, good afternoon. It's lovely to be in Connor again. This is actually my final deputation meeting during this time that I have been, I've been back in Ireland, and uh, we pray that it will be a time that will help us understand more of the gospel of Christ and its transformation upon lives in other parts of the country or of the world. So we've been in Kenya a few years, and uh, we thank you for the ongoing support we've had from Connor through many of those years. And if you can, if you read some of the bulletins and whatever, then you can keep up to date with what is going on. And I trust today will help us just get a little glimpse of how the gospel impacts lives in another part of the world. I like this picture because I think it helps me, uh, takes me back many years ago when we first went to, Barag to Baragoy and then to Tum. And the question I still ask myself, if you were sent to such a place, where would you start? Still, as I look at it, it's still very vi visible in, in my mind and uh, helps me to see how we would visualize, how would we visualize change in an area where we have lived and worked for three generations. A generation is sort of typified by the beginning and the end of circumcision, and it's usually around 14 years. So we've been through three of those ceremonies and through three of those generations and just think what would the gospel have done in that time. So when we think of mission, uh, what do we actually think of or what do we anticipate and expect to see? So our desire was to reach Samburu people. And really, where do you start among a people who do not read and write? 84% of our population still are illiterate they have a very different worldview. They see God uh, in creation rather than God as creator. So we're, when we think of cattle, and I'm sure there are some farmers here, and the winter time has come and it's getting cold and not much is growing. As a farmer, you plan for the winter season when the nothing will, the cattle will be in. You plan for food for them to eat during that time. And when we think of Christian mission, we probably think of they're going to take the message of the Bible, they're going to take the message of Jesus, and that'll be a familiar message to people out there. Now, both these ideas were not present in the thinking of the people we met in the villages all those years ago. So cattle are very important to Samburu people. They are very strongly cultural wealth. And they're not looking very healthy there uh, on the picture. But you see, we don't look at animals in terms of financial wealth as we would here. And in terms of culture and bride price, you need a certain number of cattle to pay the bride price for the sons of the, the father. And marriage is a very essential part of life. And if you don't have cattle, then your sons will not marry, and that leaves a future very difficult. So 30 years later, 
Our starting point, our point of entry again with some of the younger men, a couple of generations later, is still the animal. This time, a better bred, a better bred animal, a cross-bred bull that we bring in to help upgrading and help people envisage change. So preaching has produced lots of decisions for Christ over the years we've been there, but little effectiveness and little interest and a little translocation of that message from one generation to the other. So there, has, there are really no young men from parents who claim to be coming to know Christ that are bringing the message of Jesus and encouraging their sons to walk in the ways of Christ rather than the ways of culture. So two generations, these young people now are younger men. Some of them even have two wives already between the age of 25 and 35 are coming to our monthly training time. And we have the opportunity to challenge them with a different worldview as we find it in the Bible and to introduce them to the person of Jesus Christ. So we return with these bulls and a lot of these men look forward each month uh, coming to the seminars in Tum, and it's an opportunity for us to share with them how faith has shaped our lives and how the Bible view has also shaped the lives of some other Samburu young men who have come to faith in Christ in other areas who come and help us uh, to teach the Word of God and be an example that Jesus Christ has changed them and helped them to be a different person, and that is very important that that is communicated by someone who already has had an experience of Jesus Christ. So we teach subjects that build up a picture of the character of a different God and who we read of in the Bible and who informed my own worldview in the first place. But we must be mindful that very few of the people that attend these seminars can read and recognize words like us. That is a challenge even for everyone today, even though the New Testament is now written in the Samburu language. Many, most people who go to school, like Nikki and other people, when they read the Bible, they read it in English or Kiswahili because they know how to read and write. So the people who the Bible is actually written for do not have the literacy skill to read it. So a lot of, sometimes we think education is having an impact on society. So someone like Nikki, his father actually was educated. So he is most likely to send all his children to school, both boys and girls. But maybe Nikki's uncle did not have the opportunity to go to school. And the father said, you heard the animals. So this man's children are also unlikely to go to school and be taught in a formal educational framework. So the number of young people still not being able to read and write is actually going to increase in the near future. Illiteracy will not stop people coming to personal faith in Jesus Christ, but it certainly makes them very vulnerable to change that's happening all around them. 
I said one day to someone, this uh, the device here, mobile phone, is a, uh, by the way, it's right throughout Africa. It's in every village. Whether you have network or not, people want to have a mobile phone because they will traverse somewhere and they will uh, go to some place. There will be some network. Our village got network seven years ago. <clears throat> many, many young people now don't want one of those uh, phones with buttons. They want what they call touch. So when you touch the screen, it will light up. So they call it a touch phone. And uh, just an amazing tool for knowledge transfer in any community. And uh, the thumbprint is a very useful thing now. We can even open our phones with our th fingerprint. Our phone will identify that. When you can't read and write and don't know much about it, it doesn't really help you on such a device. I said to someone, can this device not be used to create a, a framework by which people could be taught to read and write themselves? We've had education and adult literacy classes for many years. The teacher will start, the students will come. It's just like class, you have a certain amount to do each day, and sometimes the students aren't up to the task. Sometimes the teachers get frustrated. Before very long, the class falls to pieces, and the people end up no further forward. So someone said to me that they would, uh, yes, they thought this would work, and uh, we're grateful that the process is underway. It's not there yet, but we're beginning to see that this, it will be possible that people can teach themselves on the phone, linking sounds, symbols, and uh, the syllables and the words so that's how we are taught as adults, and that's how even children are taught. And we pray that that will be something that will happen in the next while. It's been ongoing for some time. It doesn't make any money, so nobody really wants to invest in it, because we can't advertise through something in the villages. So we pray that the person doing it will persevere, and we will do the groundwork. So when it happens, we will have young people an old man even who will be fascinated by how we can see a picture of a giraffe, see the letters that make up giraffe, and then hear the word losira, which is the Samburu word for giraffe. So youth, a lot of our young people have had the privilege of going to school. Perhaps there is a, a little window that maybe more and more people are seeing are beginning to see that education is important. So if we have a group of young people who've been to school, someone like Nicky and all his friends, they make up a big percentage of the church in tomb. We can teach these people in a way that is familiar to, to us. So we've had teams out from Ireland in the past who have taught basically a Bible, uh, what we call Bible club type thing, BBS. And we have a 10-day event three times a year where young people are really nurtured in the truths of the Word of God, and it helps them to see other people who have believed in Jesus Christ. So it's a process of making, seeking to make disciples of Jesus Christ. A lot of these camps have now been taken, are now taken and led by Kenyan teams, which I think is very important because 
Very often the message seemed to be brought by the missionary. It seemed to belong to the gods that they, where they came from. And the Samburu have a different view of God. So when fellow Kenyans teach them and the word of God has affected their family history and the word of God has saved a grandparent or a parent, then the word of God is transferred down through generations. People have a much more vivid example of how the gospel in Africa can change the people there. So we have a very young church in Tum. Yeah, there's a very few very few of the people in the pictures there, very few of their parents have an interest in the Word of God. So the challenge is, can these young people show their parents that the gods that they have worshipped and, uh, and uh, sought to follow are lesser than the living God which we know, come to know in Jesus Christ? So we are just grateful that the gospel has taken root in the lives of many individuals, in many ways, some through personal contact, through educational programs, through going to school, through discipleship courses, and by your help, we are able to keep this, the momentum of such a program in place. And some people, like Jacob in the picture, have become a great example of the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus. Most families are traditional, so formal education, that is going to school, is not seen as important. And even if education was important in that family, following cultural practices are basically essential. So girls sadly will continue to be circumcised to be prepared as women for marriage. Boys will be circumcised to become independent men and uh, prepared for herding the animals in the wider area. In most families, financial resources will go first towards those cultural events rather than educational needs. So the ceremony will take priority and uh, the children, even though they may look forward to circumcision, boys especially, There'll be no money for them to go to school if that's what they would also be interested in doing. So Jacob benefited from the support of education through the program. We run a tomb where a parent is helped through some work program, and we facilitate school fees for their children and give them a small financial stipend each month. So from the end of primary school, uh, after primary school, secondary school costs money, have to pay fees. So his personal faith grew uh, through youth camps, through church events, probably through the Christian unions in the schools. But it really flourished when he went on a discipleship training course at Youth with a Mission Base just outside of Nairobi. Jacob was not a very talkative young man. I don't ever remember speaking to him before he left for Nairobi. And when he came back from that course, he came back a different person and became involved with the team we were seeking to build to lead the ministry in Tum. 
His mind had been transformed by the message of salvation, and he had developed great skills in, in many aspects. He is now a very strong, assertive leader. He is growing food in his own garden, so while other people are saying, Sinaf Chakula, I have no food, Jacob is standing there in the midst of in his own garden. He has grown maize. Since I came back from Kenya, he has harvested maize. He has sold maize. He's eaten some. He has stored some. And he's a very good example to how we would challenge poverty in certain in an area such as tomb. He's involved really as our account person at the moment. And he's very effective as he sits at a desk and able to assimilate new ideas and put them into practice. So for sure, he is a clear witness to a changed life through the gospel of Jesus and someone who is not, transform, not conformed to the pattern of the world that he grew up in and still lives in. And while the culture is strong and going on, he has yet to give in to a lot of those cultural things because of his walk of faith in Jesus Christ. So as a young man who is growing as a leader amongst us. One of the strange aspects of post-Christian faith, I think, is that it's often communicated as free and easy. Yes, salvation is free, through the grace of God. And perhaps that interpretation has come about because maybe in this society people think they can work themselves to heaven. You know, I'm God, if I just do a few good works, I'll be good enough. But we realize that our good works are not enough. But in Kenya, if we preach that message, people get the impression that it's free and it's easy. Come to Jesus and all your problems are solved. And sometimes that's taken out of context. In pastoral society, which is what the Samburu and the Maasai people are, they're pastoralist people, they move with their animals. Working the land is not a common task. And with overgrazing, the picture shows us a, a pretty dry and barren area. This overgrazing has taken place. There's been too many animals on the land. There's no fences to be seen. There's no boundaries. The land is being degraded and being destroyed. So one of the outworkings of biblical teaching is that new lives in Christ Jesus, new, new lives in Christ, those people who have become reborn in Christ will offer their bodies as living sacrifices. And they will live differently and change how they live how they think about life. So often the view of work is uh, actually the African view of work in a lot of situations is that work is a curse. Someone said to me, are the people lazy? I said, well, if you realized that something was going to curse you, would you do it? So working the land traditionally in Samburu culture is seen as sinful. So unless something changes in you, you will not cultivate the land. So the, the view of work and responsibility to family has to change. And some, we have seen a little bit of interest in some families, 
And some of the younger, vulnerable women who sometimes also come to church and embrace the truth, these vulnerable women work the land. They're involved in this land, a land rehabilitation scheme. So in the process, they'll educate their children. They see the efforts, their efforts in working is yielding results. And they also know that their children are receiving an education for the future that is changing very fast around them. So the barren land is not dead. It just needs some care. The contours or, or buns, these, somebody called them sumps, these sort of holes that are dug in the ground, they're semicircles of two and a half meters, are dug to slow down with the, with the process that when it rains, it will slow down the water and uh, stop erosion. And this water will then be utilized more effectively. And through God's provision, dormant seeds and planted seeds grow, and the protected land starts to recover over time. So the people like those ladies and hopefully some of the other people who may not be involved in the work programs but go to visit what is happening there, they're beginning to see that there is reward for their effort in land recovery. They're actually seeing faith at work in seeds growing. Nomadic people, Samburu people, really walk by sight. They don't walk by faith. And it's been quite interesting for me to be back since the end of September when the people were planting seeds here in the, in the fields, and they were brown. Sometimes they were black because it rained. And then over a week or two, they began to turn green. It's something we take for granted, and it's an image to us of faith at work. That seed is put in the ground, it dies, and it grows, and it produces a harvest. So people are beginning now to see faith at work in seeds growing. Some are beginning to see that if we do this, we will envisage in the next number of years we'll be able to harvest some grass there to make hay so that their animals would not be hungry during the dry season and that even they could have a milk supply near their homes in the future. So when it's dry, the animals are taken great distances in search of food. So when it, if it were to rain, people will see the clouds gathering in one place. They will go and uh, inspect whether there's likelihood that it was a good rain and something will grow. Then they will go back home and bring their cattle there, leaving the mother and children quite often back in the village with literally nothing. The mobile phone is making information pass much faster. So somebody knows it's rained over in uh, another place and they phone up their friend and say, hey, how's the rain? And they say, it's good. So they start to go and they're already in the village, the new location, before the grass has started to grow. So we've got to help people understand that um, change is needed. Some people, I think those who have come to faith in Christ are grasping that faith is 
possible and change will come. And a lot of them are saying that their work is educating their children. Now, without this approach, there would be a lot fewer people in secondary education in our area. There are a lot, few, a lot of few, or fewer people saying there is any hope of a different life in Jesus Christ, and then the outworking of that in being someone who will provide for your family as the Word of God takes root within their, their hearts and lives. So change is being envisaged, and we are grateful for that happening. And now I can begin to hear, even as I've been in Ireland and as people have been sending messages, some people know that these, this area where this bull is kept, it's bull, the area is fenced, so people are excluded from taking their animals in there. Some people were saying, it's very dry, we want to take our cattle in there. I said, no, you don't take your cattle in there because the next generation, will have no, a generation of people will have nothing to look at and nothing to compare with, and we will not be then able to put a picture of change before their eyes. Cattle rustling is still a major problem in our area. Last Thursday, 900 cattle were stolen. I don't know where they've gone to. People, some people weren't particularly bothered by it because it's quite a common thing. And also they have not been given the fa giving the families really any food or any milk because it's been a harsh environment. So change is definitely needed. And we are trying to help the young people also understand that this Christian journey is, is a hard one. It's not easy being a Christian in Samburu, standing up against a lot of the cultural things that they now know are wrong as we compare them with the Word of God. So we challenge young people and we challenge them that you must make the effort in the hard times. So when it's dry, even though this grass has dried up, it's still giving ground cover, it's stopping the land heating up, and it's improving the potential when it rains again that these areas will grow. Some people ask me, what's the impact of global warming? We've just heard of COP27 conference and the declaration signed this morning that money will be made available to countries who are at greater danger and risk because of global warming. In our area, when it rained, maybe 20 years ago, the compound where we live, we've worked very hard at keeping grass on it to keep the dust down. When it rained, we would have good grass growth, and maybe that would be green for up to eight weeks. In the more recent years, as it rained, uh, it will rain maybe shorter length of time, maybe the showers are heavier, but when the rain stops, we will probably only have the area green for five weeks. So we've lost three weeks of a growing season, and we have to help people in the area also adjust, and challenge them to adjust to the changes that are being, that are just happening in the world around us, even on top of the cultural bondage in which they live, and which is a strong spiritual force that seems to prevent them seeing change is possible. So all generations need to be involved in
change process. Uh, as we seek to see the, the land used better, because the land is what they live on, their animals are their main livelihood. And also as young people come to faith in Christ, how do they live that out in uh, such a, a difficult situation uh, where families are following culture and these individuals are seeking to live a different life. So if the church is going to continue to impact the generations to come, young people, both those at school, and we pray that the children of families who did not have the privilege of going to school will also come to Christ and integrate into the fellowship there. We, they need to see that God has created work and that it was part of his will and that this concept of faith needs to come into their life and that they too can embrace new life in Christ as we here have the opportunity to embrace new life in Christ. In the midst of all our teaching, we must uh, be very aware that people see God uh, not just as magic. African culture, Samburu culture is very spiritual. It's actually very dark spiritually, but very spiritual nonetheless. And we have to help them understand and challenge their thinking that the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Yes, he is still, he is supernatural in a, in a more amazing way. And we need to continue to help young people to understand what it means to be transformed by the renewing of their minds. That will, will mean and must mean that they leave old patterns and traditions behind because they have discovered a new and living way that has been opened for us through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. The death of Christ and the blood that Jesus Christ shed is the new covenant we have which supersedes all old covenants that people will do even to today in a lot of the villages. So the death of Christ on the cross is central to change and it gives us victory over sin and death. So here we have a message of hope for a generation that's growing up, a generation who have a lot of passionate young people who seek to reach out to their own villages. They're planning some outreach to a village about 160 kilometers from Tum sometime in December as they want, they want to bring the message of transformation that they have received in their hearts to other people. Our challenge is to help them understand that as God resources them through employment or through producing food in their gardens, that they then can contribute that in the course of the mission that they seek to go on. So we pray that people will be, we will see young people being effective in their walk of faith with Jesus Christ. They won't just see it as a way of being educated and then you drop the ball and you just go on and do your own things. We pray that and are encouraged that there are many people who are seeking to be effective witnesses for Christ. We pray like Jacob that they will do that through an example, a strong example that is uniquely 
and distinctly different from the way that their brothers and, uh, and parents are living. One of the big flashpoints for Samburu people is, is marriage. So our young men have come to faith in Christ. Uh, the fathers are very keen that these young men marry <clears throat> because marriage is important. You have children who will look after you when you're old. Very different scenario than is in our society because of changing uh, society values and demographics and children living uh, apart from their parents. In the African Samburu context, family is key to your care in your final days. So the parents are very keen that these young men will marry and they, they're always under pressure to, even when they're finished school, the fathers are telling them, I've got you a girl. There's a girl there in secondary school, she's educated, that's your wife. So some of these young men have come to faith in Christ, then have a decision to make. Do you marry the person that somebody else wants you to marry? Or do you marry someone who you love, as the Bible would tell us? Do you marry according to culture when you kill a bull, a covenant that is instigated as two families are united? Or do you follow the way of Christ that we marry in the new covenant by faith in Jesus Christ when his blood was sufficient for all the final sacrifice that took place? So these are some of the challenges our young people face. One of the young men sent me a message to say, you know, please pray for me at the moment. My wife's parents and my father are telling me we must kill this bull. Because if you don't kill the bull, the children belong to the woman. They don't belong to the man. So these are challenges for the young people at this present time. And we pray that they will be effective witnesses. They will be a good example and I pray that they'll make the effort to keep it going. You know, sometimes it's easy just to pray and uh, the whole thing can fall apart. We pray that our young people will see we need to walk this walk. We need to make the effort to persevere in faith in the way of Christ. And uh, the, the prize will maybe not, will not be on this side, but the prize will be for those who are faithful in their walk of faith with Christ. So we thank you for your support of I trust bringing the gospel to this area in Samburu and that we will see leaders, we will see a team develop who will move this work along and we will encourage them in that transition. Thank you.